0: Broadcasting live on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, as well as at night on WCPTA twenty Chicago's Progressive Talk, it is the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Good to be with you today. 952 946 6205. 952 946 6205. Coming up today, ooh, it's got a humdinger coming up here in just a little bit. The two hosts of the Beyond Politics podcast are going to join us uh, Matt Robeson, who we've had on the air before. As a matter of fact, he's got a new article in Newsweek. We'll talk about that as well. And former Congressman Paul Hodes is his co host. Uh, they're going to talk to us. They're out in New Hampshire, so they'll give us all the details of the fun and magic of New Hampshire. At this time of the year. Uh, Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, Brian Miller, comedian, is going to be in town uh, performing live. We'll be talking with him coming up at about 4.35 this afternoon. Patrick, how are we today? Doing well. You know those days when it's, you know, been around zero or below zero for
1: several days? then you get that day it gets up to about 10 and it feels like it's about 30.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It does. Uh, And we're going to have a nice big warm-up here. Most of the country is actually coming up in the next week. Uh, and, you know, I hope you, you know, it's, we had a little winter and it's gone. I am one of those weirdos that I like my four seasons. And I, to a point, I like them when, you know, they get cold in winter. I mean, I, my family is from Northern Minnesota. So, I mean, I, you know, a cold, I know what cold is. Um, I, I'm a Vikings fan. I know what cold is. Oh, uh, just, just keep prodding the body. Anyway, <laughs> Chicago's rolling with that one. All right. Uh, but no, I uh I I like the cold. You know, I it's it's just we really haven't had it this year. I mean, I mean, I know, hey, Chicago, you guys have. You guys got hit by a few storms. We haven't been. I think we've had maybe like two or three inches of snow total this year. Not much. You know, dustings and it's it's been cold, yeah, like the rest of the country's been cold, but it should be extended cold, and we're just not doing that right now. So, that's yeah, it is what it is. I, I, you know, I. That's that's for me. That's the seasons. You know, you you have that cold winter, and you're out ice skating or sledding or skiing or something like that. Or it's summer, and it's you know, and for some reason in the Upper Midwest, it's in godly hot. You know, it's just brutally, brutally hot in the in the summer. But yeah, it's it's it has been. It's been a weird one. And yeah, this year has kind of broken a lot of records. I will say the one thing I'm happy with, and I know Chicago, you get the sunset a little bit later than we do. It, it's, it's hard up here when that sun's going down at four o'clock. And, you know, I'm leaving the radio station after the gig and it's pitch black outside. It's, it's starting to change, which is nice. But yeah, I, I couldn't, I don't know how, how do the people live in like Winnipeg? I mean that's a pretty good sized town. Winnipeg's a pretty good sized town and yeah, it is dark up there. Uh, I was I was there in a November once in Winnipeg, just magical. And the I remember it, yeah this, it, how, how late the sun rose even at that point. Oh Can- Canadians. You're you're so much fun. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So there's a story that broke while I was gone out of town, but I, I have to bring it up. And the reason why is because of the implications of where this is going. I I want to be very clear here. I, I think that there are elements, particularly in the state of Texas, that want an armed conflict with the United States government. And Ken Paxton, who's as crooked as the day is long. I mean, that dude is crooked. Ken Paxton, um... I think wants to be open fighting like gunfire, uh, between Texas forces in the United States. And I think we are getting to that point now. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure we understand is that Texas basically allowed a woman and two children to drown. And they, they, they did this with apparently one report I saw on it, had them cracking jokes as the the, the kids and the woman were going under. They're now really mum about it, and they're not saying anything. But the story, this was from NBC News. A woman and two children drowned in the Rio Grande on Friday night at Eagle Pass, Texas, after U.S. border agents were prevented from responding. Federal officials stated this on Saturday. In a statement, the Department of Homeland Security spokesperson said U.S. Border Patrol agents were made aware of the migrants distressed by the Mexican government but were unable to enter the area from the U.S. side after the Texas National Guard troops under the direction of Texas Governor Greg Abbott prevented the U.S. government to get to their own border. Okay. In responding to a distress call from the Mexican government, Border Patrol agents were physically barred by Texas officials from entering the area, a spokesperson said. The deaths were highlighted Saturday by Representative Henry Kuehler, a Democrat from Texas, who says the deceased were part of a group of six immigrants in the river Friday night who were in distress. Mexican authorities recovered the bodies of three of the migrants on Saturday. Kuehler said in a statement, uh, identities and exact ages have not been made available. Border Patrol attempted to contact the Miss, uh, Texas military department, the Texas National Guard, and the DPS command post by telephone to relay the information, but were unsuccessful. Kuehler said in the statement, he continued border patrol agents then made Physical contact with the Texas Military Department and the Texas National Guard at Shelby Park entrance gate and verbally relayed the information. However, the Texas Military Department soldiers stated that they will not grant access to the migrants, even if it invented an emergency and they would send a soldier to investigate the situation. In its own statement, a.k.a. tap dance time. The Texas military department disputed that narrative saying its personnel were made aware of a distressed report but could not find any migrants needing help in the river and later were made aware of the incident nearby on the Mexican side of the river that did not require their help. They didn't require their help because you allowed them to drown, you jackasses. And once again, there is one report I heard that apparently people were cracking jokes as the, the people were drowning. The department said, and I want you to think about this. These, these people claim to be Christian. They're seeing drowning people. They're seeing people drowned. And they're like, we're still not going to help them. Wow. Just like Jesus. Oh, actually, no, that's nothing like Jesus would have done. Yes. Whew. Wow. The department said it's been in touch with the Border Patrol on Friday night, and the agency said Mexican authorities did not need the Texas Department's help. At no time did the Texas military department security person along the river observe any distressed migrants, nor did the TMD turn back any illegal immigrants from the U.S. during this period. Abbott's office did not immediately respond to Texas. Oh, there's clearly, and by the way, this is clearly a cover-up by the Texas military. Abbott's office did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The Texas Department of Homeland Security referred such request to the Texas military department saying it was not involved in Friday night incidents. Well, you're the commander-in-chief of these troops there, aren't you there, Abbott? Oh, that's right. Okay. I want to just be clear. I think eventually what's going to happen when the truth comes out and that these these people were allowed to drown, what's going to happen is, well, you know, it was that soldier over there who, oh, well, you were derelict of duty. We're going to hold him responsible it wasn't us. It wasn't the, the leadership of the military. It wasn't the military department. It wasn't Governor Abbott. No, we're all innocent. We, we, oh, it's, it's, it's that corporal. Oh, corporal, you're, a, you're a bad guy. Waggy, waggy, waggy finger. In a statement to NBC News, White House correspondent Ali Rafa, White House spokesperson, said one thing is clear about Saturday night's incident Governor Abbott's political stunts are cruel, inhumane, and dangerous. You think? I mean, I want to make sure we understand the entire narrative of the Republicans is we need to stop human trafficking as two of their states, Texas and Florida, traffic humans all the time by putting them on buses and shipping them out of state. That's human trafficking. And that the same people who say, we have to stop human trafficking are like, yay, send more migrant buses to the Democratic cities. Yay! You're for, you're pro-human trafficking, isn't it? By the way, and and that is kind of one of the reasons why you've you've seen the Republicans kind of pull back on that whole, we're about saving the families of people. No, they're not. There is no level of hypocrisy that these, you know, just horrible people cannot achieve. And whether it's basically saying we're against human trafficking, as they openly and gleefully engage in human trafficking, or saying we're here to prevent any tragedies, as they watch and giggle at people drowning in the the, the Rio Grande River, it's, this is who they are. And they claim to be Christian. It's just, it is disturbing. In a statement, uh, the, the statement continued, U.S. Border Patrol must have access to border to enforce our laws, which is, this is kind of in the no-duh category. The mayor of Eagle Pass, Ronaldo Salinas Jr., said during the press conference Thursday he received a phone call for the previous day from the Texas Department of Public Safety official informing him the state was taking emergency custody of Shelby Park, which lies around the river and is the area where the three migrants were in distress. Salinas says the Texas Military Department official confirmed the takeover the department directs. The National Guard. The move came amid an ongoing court battle between the Department of Human, uh, Homeland Security and Texas over the access to the border at Eagle Pass, which DHS says is cordoned off by, uh, by uh, um, you know, Constantino Wire, erected by the state. The lower court in December ruled in favor of Texas and barred federal agents from removing the barriers. I have zero doubt in my mind that The the even this Supreme Court. I mean, Alito might, and maybe Gorsuch might go along with it, but there's enough Republicans who are going to be saying, "I don't think we want to create a standard where any bordering com- community can create can sh- can stop the federal government from actually getting access to the federal border." I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's a libertarian fantasy world. I mean, at that point, it's over because I guarantee you on that southern border, there are Republican mayors and governors who will turn a blind eye to massive drug smuggling schemes, and they'll let them stream across the border. Heck, they'll probably build a road for them as long as they get their kickback and keep screaming about how the Democrats keep the border open. He, 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 he. Now, where's my payoff money? Seriously, that's, that, you, even that Supreme Court can see the dangers of allowing individual municipalities and states to order to govern the border. And as they see fit the latest story in this, this debacle, and once again, I want to remind everyone the governor Abbott commanding the forces of Texas, apparently has prevented the U S border agents from getting to the U S border and willfully allowed three people to drown to death in the river As they did nothing. Texas has dismissed an order by the Biden administration to allow federal agents full access to a park that was seized on the state. Uh, The letter sent to the Department of Homeland Security on Wednesday, Texas's attorney general squarely blamed the federal government for the migrants' deaths. Wait a second here. I thought there, there was no one responsible for the migrants' deaths. Wait a second here. I thought there was no one responsible, that that was something that happened on the Mexican side. What's Ken Paxton talking about this happening on the U.S. side? From the same state that said, we didn't whip those people. We just, we bridled them. Oh, okay. Remember that from a few years ago? I remember that. I They're going to laugh this out of court, I have a feeling. But I think the, the Texas Republicans want an armed conflict. It's the Matt McNeil Show. McNeil show. it. No, I'll say it bluntly. I think the, the state of Texas wants to shoot American service members. I think they want an open armed conflict between their quote unquote troops. Because I'd say this at this point, I mean, send in the 10th Mountain Division, get the, to the gate and just sort of say, here's the deal. Uh, you can either come on out on your own and we're going to go in there as the U.S. government or basically this could get ugly really quick. And I think, and honestly, I think that Texas wants to create a bunch of martyrs of their Texas National Guard and and kind of do it that way. Now, once again, I have zero doubt that the, the federal courts and even that Supreme Court are going to kind of knock down this whole thing saying, no, the federal government has to have access to their border. You can't just have this be a, a county or municipality or state issue. The federal government has to have some level of access here. But... You know, at the same time, I I think the end game here is Ken Paxton wants he wants to to shoot American soldiers. Ken Paxton and Greg Abbott want to shoot American soldiers. That's the way I look at it. And they're 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 hoping they're hoping that the troops come in there so they can start gunning down U.S. soldiers and then say we were the victims here because that's kind of and hey, that's kind of how these people operate. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Uh, really quick, the of all the legal cases, we've talked many times on this show about the legal cases against Donald Trump and there's so many. The one that's got the most teeth though is this one down in Georgia, Georgia because he cannot pardon himself from that case. He's tried now to make an argument that he has total immunity from all prosecution at all levels no matter what he does. But the reality is, is no, that, you know, you know, immunity, if you can pardon yourself, that that is only on federal charges, state charges, it doesn't apply. And that's what Georgia is. That is the case they desperately, and I do mean desperately want to disappear. They do not want that case there any longer. They have gone after Fannie Willis. Uh, with allegations and as a matter of fact there's some uh, updates here because they're uh, they're accusing her of having an inappropriate relationship and by the sounds of it it was once again as most things with the Republicans it's completely and totally made up the district attorney Fannie Willis Willis Thursday accused her deputy's estranged wife of using their divorce to disrupt the Fulton County prosecutor's election racketeering case against Donald Trump Willis's response came on the same day as Judge Scott McAfee ordered the February 15th hearing to discuss misconduct claims tied to the divorce case that Willis and Prosecutor Nathan Wyatt had an extramarital affair and mishandled public money during the relationship, the Washington Post reports. Willis's defense appears in a motion to quash the subpoena, summoning her to a pre-divorce trial deposition. Jocelyn Wade is using the legal process to harass and embarrass District Attorney Willis and in doing so is obstructing and interfering with an ongoing criminal prosecution. The prosecution, referred only to as an election interference case, received a major blow early this month when attorney for Trump's co-defendant Mike Roman accused Willis of an improper relationship with Wade. Attorney Ashley Merchant did not offer proof and claims that Willis secured Wade a high-paying public position then enjoyed, lavish, quote, lavish trips on the cash he earned as special counsel. The lack of evidence didn't stop Trump and Republicans uh, from accusing Willis of a crime. Willis has been ordered to file a written response to these accusations by February 2nd, about two weeks before the hearing. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, excuse me, the the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, is not investigating Fulton County and District Attorney Fannie Willis. Newsweek reported on Thursday, Willis, who is prosecuting Donald Trump and his allies over efforts to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia, was accused by a Trump aide of having an improper relationship with Nathan Wade, a special prosecutor she hired in the case. By the way, she makes the point, it's funny that the Trump administration is not coming after, she apparently hired three people, all of them getting paid at the same exact rate, and they, she made the point, she goes, they didn't, they're not coming after the female, the, the white woman that she hired, who is very qualified. She, they're not coming after the white man that she hired, who is quite qualified. They're coming after the one black man that they hired saying, oh, well, clearly there's a relationship here. Uh, the aide, Michael Roman, is seeking to have the charges against him dropped and both have both Willis and Wade dismissed from the case. Some conservatives began to speculate that Georgia Bureau investigation had launched an investigation to Willis's alleged misconduct uh, per an unconfirmed announcement by a conservative activist and Trump supporter. Um, The GBI confirmed to Newsweek the email that has no such thing. Willis responded to the allegation on the Sunday after the week of silences in one of Georgia's Historic black churches, she named racism and anti-blackness as motivations for the accusations and defended herself and her actions, but did not address whether she had a relationship with Wade. On Thursday, the presiding judge in the Georgia case against Trump set a February 15th hearing date on the misconduct allegations against Willis. He gave the DEA's office until February 2nd to respond to the motion. Once again, it's all on them to prove that there is something wrong here. And by the sounds of it, there's nothing they're going to be able to prove. And her talking to this guy, I mean, if have, they're dating... You know, I, you know, it's, it's, could, I mean, it, does there look like there's something inappropriate there? I don't know. Depends on when they started dating. But the reality is, is, you know, he didn't get any more money than anyone else. There doesn't seem to be any evidence of lavish trips that she's abused her office to give him specifically. Once again, this is all, that case is the deadliest case for Trump because he could actually win the election. I, I don't think he will, but he could actually win the election and then actually get sentenced to jail in Georgia for what he has done. And he cannot pardon himself. And sure, the I guess, I don't know what the, the pardon process for the state of Georgia is. I'm guessing the governor has some credence there and might, you know, try to interview on the argument of, let's, well, we can't have the president sitting in the jail cell. And try to play it off as, you know, You know it doesn't matter. But the reality is, is that this, this is, it does not surprise me we are seeing the attacks on Fannie Willis ramp up. Because, once again, of all the cases that are against Trump right now, this is by far, this is by far the most dangerous one for him. Because the other ones, I mean, the one in Florida, the documents case, it it seems like, you know, the, 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 the judge down there, who's a Trump appointee and apparently a Trump stooge, is doing everything in her power to make sure she throws out. Cannon's trying to get rid of all the documents, all the evidence, basically making sure that if Trump wins, that he can throw it out and that even if Trump doesn't win, that she herself will dismiss the case by basically excluding all the evidence and basically saying, I don't see a case here and and getting rid of it. The case in D.C. has got a lot more to it. As a matter of fact, Jack Smith, there there are a lot of people that speculate that he's actually got some serious smoking guns right now. And it tells me a lot about that case that the Trump people have really kind of shut up about that case. They're not talking that much about it. Don't get me wrong; they want it gone and stuff. They, there's all the, the all belly aching about we're getting persecuted, blah bitty, blah bitty, blah 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 blah. But that case, you haven't heard them, you know, going out there and specifically targeting that one. And I think that that's very telling. I think that they know that that teeth, that case has got teeth too. And of course, then there's the New York case where you know he's he's going to have to pay a pretty stiff penalty, not only for the fraud, but then this E. Jean Carroll case, which they wrapped up the testimony today. That's going to be a big check for him, too. But this Georgia case, that one could end up getting him in jail for sure. He could definitely get convicted. That's why they want that one gone. That's why the allegations are flying. When we come on back. Uh, interview Matt Robeson and Paul Choate. Uh, it's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting on the evening in WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. And in the afternoon on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota and Minneapolis-St. Paul. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Good to have you be- with us. Good to have back to the show Matt Robeson, writer, podcast host, political analyst who focuses on trends in demographics, psychology, policy, and economics that are shaping American politics. His work has been featured extensively in Newsweek, Alternate, and Raw Story. He spent a decade working on Capitol Hill as a legislative director and chief of staff for three members of Congress. Also joining us Congressman Paul Hode, serving two terms as a U.S. congressman from New Hampshire's second congressional district. He began his legal career in New Hampshire as an assistant attorney general under then Attorney General David Souter, Souter, Souter uh, was elected to Congress in 2006, was chosen as the president of the historic 2006 freshman class. Together, they host the podcast, Beyond Politics, and they're kind enough today to join us to talk about a little bit about Iowa, but as well, talk to us a little bit as well about New Hampshire and what's coming up next. Gentlemen, Congressman, thank you very much. I appreciate the time.
1: Sure.
2: Happy I like how here. you separate congressman from gentleman. That's very apt. Well, it's yeah. you know, <laughs> gentlemen Matt. I
0: actually Matt, I'm going to start with you with your Newsweek article that you just put out because you I think might have been the first person to touch on this with Trump in Iowa. And that he's not this fresh face new candidate. He is you know, he's far closer to an incumbent than he is to a new person. So a 51% turnout for him is actually really low. And I don't think he should be touting the success of Iowa. I think that actually, that was a really bad showing for him in Iowa.
2: Absolutely. Matt, for all of your Chicago and Minnesota listeners and viewers, if you woke up Tuesday morning and you started reading some of the coverage in the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Chicago Sun-Times, Minneapolis Star, Pick your news outlet of choice. You could have gone to CNN. You could have gone anywhere. And they're all crowing about what they call the Trump romp, Trump domination, Trump crushes in Iowa. And you thought to yourself, wait, really? Am I what? Am I taking (laughs) crazy pills? You are not alone. I was on text chains with former members of Congress and chiefs of staff like me and politicos and political scientists and professors. And we're all saying to ourselves, wait, I thought I was the only one. Yes, Matt, you're right. Two thirds of Republican caucus goers in Iowa told pollsters on their way into the caucus that they thought that Donald Trump was the legitimate president of the United States. In their mind, he's the incumbent. So the incumbent president of the United States in their mind gets half, half. And not only that, he could only motivate 8% of the 700,000-odd registered Republicans, and I do mean odd, in Iowa to show up. Half of them he inspired to vote for him. The other half he inspired to vote against him. And somehow our stenographic, you know, like toadying, easily cajoled media all bands together and says a crushing major win. Are you kidding me?
3: And so I was compelled to write this up in Newsweek. Well, he, it, he, go ahead, Paul. He got 4% of <laughs> Iowa's Republic, registered Republicans. He got 4%. We were on a we were on somebody else's show uh today and they tried to make an excuse. They said, <laughs> "Well, it was really cold. Oh, it was yeah, oh, really. Come on. Yeah, come <laughs> on. Were this terrible is, in this, there. Is, this <laughs> is the Midwest. You know, I mean, they play football in minus seven degrees. They can put on their overcoats and boots. They can get in their cars. They can drive to the nice heated basements and gyms and get out the vote if they're really enthusiastic. Four percent of Iowa's Republicans were enthusiastic enough to give the great orange Cheeto pig a a a romping victory
0: well I went back and looked uh, about the most closest we could find recently was Carter in 1980 because he had Ted Kennedy challenging him and Carter still got 59 percent of the vote and more votes than Trump did but at the same time the narrative off of that was this massively divided Democratic Party oh how are they ever going to come together which played a role in 1980 in Reagan's election the the way that they're the it's portrayed now i mean and trump's showing was worse now once again not exactly the same equal comparison not an incumbent but as close to an incumbent as you can get and yet they act as if him only getting basically half of the votes that showed up is somehow this this
2: bellwether of america you know what really frosts me um, while we're talking about the weather matt yes it's 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 the entire look you're a fan. You you know that I, I do a video channel with your frequent guest, Cliff Schechter, Indeed. who's an alpha liberal like you, right? Like, no, no bones about it. And, you know, like he loves to do takedowns on the media. I do too. It's fun. But in this case, this stuff really matters because we're fresh off of polls in New Hampshire showing that both Haley and Trump have gained in standing in New Hampshire since the Iowa caucus. But it's for very different reasons. What the polls are showing is that Haley has gained because Chris Christie dropped out and she's inherited most of his supporters. Trump has also gained an equal amount. But what his people are telling pollsters is, well, we saw how he did in Iowa. Meaning you read the media narrative about it and you figured, oh, okay. So Trump is gaining political support he's gaining votes he's gaining momentum because of the media narrative and it's it's so it it, it's it's scandalous in a way because here's an example of how the media does this right you're a member of the media shame on you mcneil here's an example of Ah. how they do this abc news does an article right where they talk about their entrance polls and they deliver themselves of the following tangled english sentence by a split of 63% to 32% respondents to the entrance poll say they'd consider Trump fit for office despite a conviction. So let's unpack that, my friends. They are leading with the idea of, hey, 63% say that they would consider him fit for office. This is a strong point, even if he's convicted of any of the 91 felony counts pending against him. Um, Okay, let's invert this for a second. One third, one third, of the most MAGA heartland Republicans available on planet earth are saying, if he gets convicted, we will drop him. He will, we will fold on him faster than Superman on laundry day. And they somehow bury this nugget seven paragraphs deep in their analysis, and they give it backwards.
3: This is the problem. Oh, it, it, so why are they doing why why are they doing it? Why are we having Redux of 2016 when the media distinguished themselves by never saying anything about Trump that really gave anybody a a glimmer of a chance to think about who they were electing? Why are they doing it? They they do they want the coronation or do they prefer a horse race? What is it?
0: I I think it's the money thing. I really do. I think these are there's so much business network back in 1976 was uh, way ahead of everyone on this, saw where this is all going. And it's basically that they, they don't want to blow out victory because a blowout victory means not enough money and they want that cash. But I also think the purged newsrooms where they're basically scrambling to try to cover news, it's just too easy to print the talking points from a political party. Now, if we can, I want to step off into New Hampshire. And Congressman, it's an absolute privilege to chat with you. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to have you here uh, because you will be able to give us a really good view of what things are like on the ground. What what is New Hampshire? Give us a what is the difference between uh, Iowa and New Hampshire? How do things change for the race as it goes there?
3: Well, look, everybody in New Hampshire thinks they are a the political expert and the kind of pundit that Matt Robeson actually is. Um, but everybody in New Hampshire would be able to fill you with opinions and perspective and thoughts and their history. And they would tell you about the time in 1988 when I had uh, um, this candidate or that candidate in my living room. And then I chalked up I chalked up that candidate at the coffee shop. And then I went down over to the library and I saw that candidate and in fact it's true because in new hampshire you do get to meet meet the candidates everybody's an hour or two two away but the media again has this view of new hampshire has this quaint little backwater populated by hobbits uh where they come out with well, their Vermont. furry feet, with their furry feet and uh and as new, <laughs> new hampshire new <laughs> hampshire and 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 every four years we we conduct this quaint little ritual well so folks in new hampshire are pretty politically savvy because remember this matt you got a population of 1.3 million people you got four hundred state legislators, 400, who all get paid $100 a year. So politics is like in, our, in the blood. It's mm-hmm. a state sport. And every two years, everybody runs. So there's always a campaign going on. In New Hampshire, nobody knows, are you running for Congress? Are you running for the state legislature? I mean, it doesn't matter. You're going to Concord, you're going to Washington, you're all a bunch of crooks anyway. What, what does it matter? There's a strong libertarian bent here. In fact, there was a project to take over New Hampshire politics by libertarians, um, which to some degree has been successful. But also the makeup here is pretty interesting. 30% Dems, 30% Arms, 40% Independence. And one of the defining characteristics that we'll be seeing is that those 40% undeclared voters can take either a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot during the primary. Mm -hmm. And right now, we are thinking that a lot of those undeclared voters are going to be taking a Republican ballot because they are really interested in what's going on. And there's a certain cadre of those undeclareds who may ultimately end up voting for Democrats, but here could say, you know, We want to be the granite bulwark that stops the great orange Cheeto on his march to dictatorship. We're going to go in and vote for Nikki Haley. Well, she's crazy, but at least she's she's not Trump crazy.
0: Well, and Matt, do you think in New Hampshire, I mean, because here's the problem that Iowa exposed is there's just enough Republicans in Trump's camp to doom them and that they're going to be stuck with this guy and it's going to be toxic down the line. But is that true in New Hampshire? Matt, do you think that there is enough re- enough wiggle room that we might actually see an upset here that, or at least close enough to where it makes these next cont- contest Nevada, South Carolina, stuff like that makes them more interesting.
2: Not among Republicans, but I'll, I'll share a fun party trick with yeah. all your listeners and viewers. Okay. If you want to sound smart at a party, over the next few days, if the conversation turns to politics, um, here's what you do. Okay. You point out what Paul just said. And, you know, there, there's 40% are independents. We call them undeclareds in New Hampshire for no reason. And what polling shows us is that Trump is winning registered Republicans by about 30 points, but Haley is winning registered undeclareds by about 30 points. So when the conversation turns to, Will Trump maybe lose? Will Haley win? And they start talking about polls. Here's what you do to sound really smart. You say, well, it all depends in this poll on how the pollster decides to weight the number of independents and the versus Republicans, because that's actually true. Yeah. Basically, pollsters make assumptions, right? They have to make guesses about who's gonna show up. There's no like written in stone rule for like who's gonna show up to these things. And so they make guesses. We're actually having the number one pollster in New Hampshire. He runs the CNN poll. He's on our show on Beyond Politics tomorrow. We're going to talk about this. So they make guesses. The ones that are guessing that more Republicans than undeclared are going to show up are going to show that Trump is going to run away with this. The ones we're guessing, actually, we may get an equal number or more undeclareds. They're going to show Haley very competitive. So when you see polls, you're at a cocktail party, say, oh, see that result? They oversampled undeclared, and you'll you'll sound like a genius. Uh, I see. At least to nerds. Well, and can I just
0: go with the math you guys have described? If 40% uh, are, ind- are independent and 30% of them are supporting Nikki Haley, which is a larger number than the Trump supporters on the Republican side, this is actually this could end up
2: being really close or a haley victory it could be the problem you run into is that first of all registered republicans have a habit of showing up in republican primaries whereas undeclared voters don't necessarily they actually have the option to show up on the democratic side and a lot of them may be democratic leaning undeclared in political operative circles when you see independence what you think to yourself is most of those aren't really independent, right? They're they're not really swing voters. The estimate of actual swing voters in America is somewhere between six and 9%, far, far away from the 40% of undeclareds you see in New Hampshire. So what you might see in this primary is a lot of truly democratic performing undeclareds showing up and the math doesn't quite work out.
0: I'll let you finish that thought when we come on back. Matt Robeson is joining us. Paul Hodes is joining us. It is, of course, the Beyond Politics podcast. We'll talk with them more when we come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and in Chicago, it's the Matt McNeil Show. Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes joining us from the Beyond Politics podcast. By the way, I should mention really quick, guys, where you can find that podcast pretty much everywhere you find your podcast nowadays?
2: You can find that podcast pretty much everywhere you can find your podcast nowadays. We're also on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. If you want to see us, but I mean... We're, we're, we're happy if you don't
3: see our faces. I have a face made for radio, so, you know, it's okay. You could just listen.
0: I, I was in this age long before they decided to put this on a screen somewhere. But okay, guys, sure. All right. Desperate for content. I can see that. But uh, find it, it. Beyond Politics, the podcast. Exceptional commentary uh, from Matt and Paul. Uh, okay, so have you seen my congressman, Dean Phillips? He's my congressman. I haven't seen him. Has he been stroming across New Hampshire at this point? Can you tell him to call home, so you, you know, just check in every once in a while? <laughs>
3: You know, he and Marianne Williamson are, are holding hands and tiptoeing oh, through the New Hampshire tulips. Oh. <laughs> um, I've seen I've seen a lot of his advertisements on television. They, he looks um, smooth and rich and young and inexperienced. And he's uh, you know, he doesn't want people to vote for Joe. And, and he's visiting the coffee shops and hoping that reporters are going to follow him. And between Dean and Marianne, you've got a real show for Democrats.
2: Can I let you in on a, a fun little secret? So first of all, if you ever watch Congress on C-SPAN, which you shouldn't and please don't, you will see that it looks like when members of Congress are addressing the floor, it looks like there are people around them looking seriously at them. There are not. There are three people in the in the room. Um, It's it, it's kind of all made up for TV, right? It's it's actually usually a completely empty chamber. It's, it's a weird thing. Paul, it was weird, right? Like when you'd speak on the floor, hey, you're look, like I, pretending I, you're speaking I, to a crowd.
3: I always wanted my own TV show. I just didn't know it was going to be C-SPAN with nobody watching. So you'd be talking about important constitutional issues and there's nobody there but your buddies who are waiting for their five minutes of glory on the empty house floor at the middle of the night when nobody is awake except people like us who are listening to members of Congress spout stuff that generally we're making up on the spot.
2: And I only bring that up by way of saying that when you see an image of Dean Phillips doing something in New Hampshire, I assure you that it is similarly kind of made up. Um, It's like the moon landing, like it's 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 all a studio set. I'm kidding. I'm joking, people. The moon landing was real. Um, you, You know, I've been at the spot like I see these pictures. Dean Phillips making campaign announcement downtown Concord, New Hampshire. Okay, I used to live I mean, Paul, you lived in Concord for like 33 freaking years. Um, you know, I, I used to work there every day. I know that corner. That corner where, where he's making this announcement, and it looks like in front of a crowd, is in front of your old congressional office, Paul. And I assure you that the people who are there are his handful of campaign staff. No one wow. is looking. Um, you can tell in the background. That's that's the story of his whole campaign. No one cares no one cares. He has it's the traction the of a no roller
3: derby on ice.
0: You know, we he was in my studio about I mean, back when he first ran in 2018. And it, he came across as the second coming of Paul Wellstone. And today I have I mean, I have no idea where this guy is going. I you know, he he struck out before the 20, uh, 2022 election and was making comments about how he didn't agree with Joe Biden. And that didn't make any dang sense whatsoever. But this whole notion, it—he's it, not going to. What, what is he going to get? Two percent, three percent, New Hampshire, or do you think he'll actually get a little bit more?
2: Well, remember, it's a write-in effort for Biden because of the whole thing. Look, if you're enough of a political nerd that you are, um, you know, like really into this, you can look up the whole thing with the DNC and the yeah. rules, and who cares? The point is, Joe Biden has to be a write-in candidate in the New Hampshire primary, which is silly. Paul Hodes, my co-host, former U.S. Congressman, sitting here on this set, is uh, one of the leaders of the write-in campaign. Um, And it is possible, because of what we were talking about a minute ago, that undeclared voters who would normally participate in the Democratic primary might want to go over and vote in the Republican primary. That might depress the kinds of votes that you might normally see for the incumbent president of the United States, Joe Biden. And so, you know, he might do a little bit better. Biden might get down a little bit lower. And then I am looking forward to seeing the national media
0: pile on
2: and invent headlines. Biden stumbles in New Hampshire. Questions fly. It's like, where were you when Trump got 51 percent of the 8 percent who could be bothered to show up for him? Where were you then?
3: Here, here's what here's what's going on with that. The write-in uh, campaign is, uh, by every, every measure, I think, pretty successful. There's been an awful lot of effort put into reaching out to people, but like everywhere else, nobody's spending all their time thinking about politics. And I think there are going to be some confused people who are going to come to the polls on Tuesday and say, well, I don't see Joe Biden on on this Democratic ballot. What do I do? And what the poll workers are going to be allowed to say is, they're not going to be allowed to say, write in Joe Biden. They're going to be allowed to say, well, if somebody doesn't file for the primary in time, they don't make it on the ballot and you can write in the candidate of your choice, which may confuse people even further. So I expect Joe Biden will win the Democratic non-primary because the DNC or says Nader. it's meaning, meaningless or 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 Jill Stein or Vladimir Putin. I mean, who who knows? He'll win but it may not be as resounding as it would be if he deigned to come to New Hampshire and, and sit on the ballot.
0: And Matt, you're exactly right. they are going to have Trump say Trump wins by three points. It's another resounding victory for Trump and say Biden wins by 30. Well, Biden's in trouble. Boy, oh boy. Is this, <laughs> You can already see that cab coming down the street with its doors wide open, man.
2: You know, you know, you, you, the three of us need to start a new show because we don't have enough shows already. We've got Beyond Politics, we've got Matt McNeil's show. You know, you're crushing it here. In the let, let's start a new show called Liberal Media Bias. Let's just, let's just do it because the idea of liberal media bias is such horse pucky. It's such. Is there, is there a trenchant Midwest expression for this? It's such, it's such poutine. It's such. <laughs> It's it's, it's <laughs> well poutine. But... Uh,
0: some people actually like poutine. It you is know, so, yeah, uh, we can't sure go Delicious well,
2: poutine is
3: delicious, but I wouldn't be, be careful. The sleep. West Side of Manchester, they love poutine. So just you you watch out there.
0: <laughs> gentlemen, I will have to cut this there, but thank you so much. I can't I appreciate the time. Stay sane for the next few days. Do my you do your best to stay sane there. Congressman Paul Hodes Matt Robison, Uh gentlemen, all my best and once again find the Beyond Politics Po- podcast wherever you get your podcast. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Thanks, Thanks a Matt. lot, Matt.
2: You, you bet. It.
0: Take care, Chicago. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Minneapolis, Saint Paul. Hour two next. Hour number two of the show here. Matt Brett here. Brett tra- Patrick transformed into Brett. Brett's got enough to join us today. You saw the latest surrender humans, the Kit Kat cereal. And that's all it is. It's it's Kit Kat Bar Cereal. It's just you yeah. might as well just put unwrap a few Kit Kat bars, throw them in a bowl with some milk. That's about all it is, yeah. You, I like Kit Kat, so I I am probably not going to get it, but it's tempting. It's very tempting. Of course tempting. you're going to get it. You're it's a Cub Foods over in Nollwood. I'll just go just tell you where it's at right now. Well, you know you made a mistake. Yeah, now you
2: told me where to get it. Go get it. Just
0: You can tell me how it tastes. I mean, there are some things. If you haven't seen it, go to the social media pages. I posted the picture of the Kit Kat bar cereal. We're just, just, okay, so surrender humans. In case you're wondering what surrender humans is, we used to spend our money on things like sending men to the moon and trying to cure cancer. Now what we do is we spend all of our money on flavorings and additives to cereals And other foods, and my theory is, is this is actually an alien race that's basically beaming down these foods on a daily basis to where you go see them, and it's just all it is is just you know a box of gluttony. That's all it is. It's a box of gluttony or a six-pack if you get the little to-go boxes. Those are great. Anyway, and it's it's the alien race fattening us up so they can eat us. It's surrender, humans, and that is. That is Surrender Humans, if I've ever seen it, a Kit Kat bar cereal. It just looks like, I saw some pictures, it looks like a Kit Kat bar with some sugar on it. What's worse? (laughs) It does. What's worse? Was that worse, or was it the Fruity Pebbles syrup that had that?
3: That sounds
0: nasty. It it looked like, you know, the. okay, so imagine the barber fluid at your local barber. You know, they put the combs in it that's green. Now, imagine it as a bright pink. That's, that's Fruity Pebbles syrup. Mmm, Kids, who wants Barbasol on their pancakes? Oh, my God. And, of course, they do sell the Fruity Pebbles pancake mix because, God forbid, you actually have a meal that doesn't have Fruity Pebbles in it, I guess. And Dad, I don't like your inferior pancakes. They're not enough to make my teeth rot as I eat them. God, how did we get to this point? Uh, by the way, comedian Brian Miller going to be joining us here, uh, talking about it. He's got a show coming up this weekend. We'll talk to him about that. Um, okay, so I, I got to start off with the ballot has been released for the 2024 presidential primary. Ballots are set, and so here we have it. We have our here's our lineup for the DFL. Uh, we got President Joe Biden. I did mention Dean Phillips is on there, and then oh, Marianne Williamson, Moonbeam as I like to refer to her. Moonbeam's on it. Um, but then we have even Cambridge, Gabriel Con- Conio, Frankie Lozado, Jason Palmer. These are all Democrats, by the way. Jason Palmer, Armando Mando, Perez-Serranto, and St. Uyghur. So from uh, he's from the, the Young Turks. I think he's from Young Turks. Oh, Tur- I forgot he, he yeah, was he, running. Yeah, running. yeah. Your Republican nominees, uh, former President Trump, Vivek Ramaswamy is still on the ballot. Haley, he's on the ballot. DeSantis and Christie, and then there's the legal marijuana now party. Okay, which one of us wants to tell them? <laughs> I, I, I don't know why you still exist. Um, it's like the you know the pro Kit Kat bar cereal party. I got news for you. Breaking news. It's over. Success. You're done. The legal marijuana now party is apparently still a thing because it's going to be, it's not legal enough. Uh, All right. I'm I'm still part of the movement that's trying to repeal the prohibition amendment. Uh, (laughs) I want to make it illegal again so I can make it unillegal. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, (laughs) The names on this list, and um, I'll go Rudy Reyes, Edward Fortune. Edward Fortune, okay. Uh, Dennis Schuler, and by the way, that's not even the closest to the, the, the best name on this list. Uh, Dennis Schuler, Crystal Gable, really? And your top, the top name on this list on the legal marijuana now primary ballot, Vermin Supreme. At least we got the top guy. <laughs> Uh, is what makes them supreme is they get sour cream on there. Never mind us. Mmm, <laughs> mm, little sour cream with that vermin, man. Mm, boy, that's just some good eating. That's just good eating. Vermin supreme. Um, guys, um, it's over. You, you know, high fives. You know, well, the best you can do if you're high is a kite. But you know, high fives. Turn off the lights. Close the door. You can head home. It's over. Or are you saying now you have an expansive education policy? As well, it's, it's oh boy, if you thought we were good with the legalizing of marijuana, wait till you see our roads policy. Oh, it's it's gonna be a, a hell of an investment in infrastructure. Vermin Supreme. Oh that is my uh, that is my 4chan name. Uh nine five two Vermin Supreme. Mm, a little sour cream, a little salsa, getting a little hot sauce, man. Oh, man, that's just good, good stuff. If he wasn't Supreme, he'd be running for, like, vice president. Yeah, it's, 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 it's vermin a little less than Supreme. Uh, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Minneapolis, St. Paul? Do you hear that? Is that? Is that the sound of Republicans bellowing at the top of their lungs? No, it's not! Oh, cost it is. Yes, it is. It's once again time for more news that pisses off Republicans. All right. Crime in Minnesota was down across the board in 2023, according to preliminary data released by the Department of Public Safety statewide compared to 2022. In 2023, homicide was down 5%. Car thefts down by 8%. Carjackings down 38% larceny theft de- uh, cre- decreased about 15% and rape fell 20%. Nice. Good. Good to see that's the right direction. Zero is the goal, but you know, you're going in the right direction. Like many major categories like robbery, burglary, larceny, and sexual assault are now running lower than they did prior to the pandemic. Others like homicide, aggravated assault, and motor vehicle theft remain well above pandemic levels despite recent declines though. These numbers are provisional and they may change slightly in the coming weeks as new reports become available. The state's final crime tallies typically released in August or September. Still enough data is now to confirm what have been suspecting in the second half of last year. Crime continues to wane in the pandemic. Consider Minnesota's total crime rate, the number encompassing both violent crimes like aggravated assault and property offenses like theft. Last year, it fell to its lowest level since 1963. Crime levels are at the pre-1963 levels. Wow. That's a crime overall.
3: of no, that is the word. I was murdered 16 times yesterday.
0: You're standard Republican weighing in on the debate. Most of that trend owns to longer-running reductions in property crime, which is far more common than violent crime. Larceny alone made up roughly two-thirds of the major crimes tallied in Minnesota last year. The violent crime trend tells a slightly different story. Violent offenses fell across the board uh, in 2023, but remain above the the pandemic pre-pandemic levels. As a matter of fact, they let's see, well, you know, they're yeah, they they were down needs to go down a little bit more, and will be before the pre-pandemic levels. But they're actually a lot better than they were in 1990, Not bit better in 1990 and better in the mid 2000s. That decade, it's actually a lot better than both of those times. So. Yes, it's not as good as pre-pandemic levels, but it's, it's nowhere near as bad as it's been in the last 30, 40 years, 40 years, basically. Relatively to 2019, robbery is down 10 percent. Sexual assault is down 20 percent. But Those drops are overshadowed by uh, the, the in, since, since 2019, an increase in homicides, an increase in aggravated assaults. The latter category accounts for roughly two-thirds of the offenses included in the violent crime rate calculation. But homicides continue to fall. And once again, it's nowhere near as high as it was, nowhere near as high as it was in the mid-90s. The mid-90s were bad. Despite modest decreases since peaking in 2021, the homicide remains elevated above pre-2020 levels. Um Minnesota's violent crimes, including homicide, are highly concentrated in the Twin Cities. Hennepin and Ramsey counties account for 32% of the state's population, but 72% of their mur- uh, murders committed in 2023, for instance. But like the rest of the state, violent crime is none- nevertheless falling in Minneapolis and in St. Paul. Yay. Crime comparisons with other states are tricky because data collection policies differ wildly. Some law enforcement agencies don't submit any data to national clearinghouses. Homicide is an exception, though. As deaths are also captured in death certificate data maintained by public health agencies. According to the latest such data available, Minnesota had the 10th <clears throat> lowest homicide rate in the nation, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Daddy,
1: Daddy, it's the worst ever!
0: Uh, no, it's the 10th lowest homicide rate in the nation. God, I mean. Are you guys, you're going to have to just scream about flags. <laughs> you guys, you, I mean, can you bring back the Senate office building? Oh, by the way, aren't you guys all in the Senate office building now? Oh, that's right. So you remember when you, remember when all the Republicans vowed, they were never moving into this building. Funny story. They're all in there now. Uh, yeah, so they're all hypocrites. They they all moved in there. They they, they, they just made a political policy out of it, try to make hay for one or two election cycles. Now it's going to be flag stuff isn't it? It's going to be the flag. We got this commie flag. Our flag should show us violating the minority populations. Shut up, Republicans. Uh, yeah, yeah, This is hard for you because, I mean, as one person said, who uh, commented on this from Portland, on threads of all places, um, I say, they're like you're not going to believe this. Someone's actually following me on threads. No, threads has actually been solid. I've actually had a lot of response on threads. Um, threads, the thing which is interesting, this guy says in Portland, same exact thing, is that the entire Republican base, their entire narrative is to scream how bad things are. And so when you get policies like this, particularly pointing to things not being so bad, that, you know. It's, you know, it, it, Republicans get furious. This is why they will scream at the top of their lungs. Why? That is that? Well, no, it actually, it's things are getting better. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of an early break here, and the reason why is I want to come on back because there was another story that came on out about the Minneapolis, Minnesota, Minneapolis Foundation, and this this documentary that Colin put out in regards to how bad Minneapolis is because once again the data numbers don't back up what they're saying but I want to get to that because that that actually is something I think we probably need to address and once again comedian Brian Miller is going to be joining us here in just a little bit it's the Matt McNeil show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So this story came across while I was on vacation too, and I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I want to get to this here. Activists are urging the Minneapolis Foundation, the state's largest community foundation, to rescind a 2022 donation to the conservative Minnesota news outlet, Alpha News. Communities United Against Police Brutality, a police watchdog group, sent a letter Tuesday to the foundation and CEO RT Rybeck demanding it rescind a $11,500 grant a donor gave to Alpha News two years ago and apologized to the community. Your website is filled with references to cultivating change and building racial equity. It is appalling that you would allow the foundation to act as a conduit to Alpha News, a group with has proven record of racism, wrote Michelle Gross, the CUABP president, in a letter signed by eight other community leaders. The Minneapolis Foundation responded Tuesday by saying that while none of its employees had directed money to Alpha News, individuals who have set up funds with the foundation had directed 20000 to eight grants, in eight grants to Alpha News and over the past two years. The foundation grants nearly $200 million a year. A statement didn't specify, address that activists demand they rescind the donation. In 2021, the Minneapolis Foundation and other large lo- uh, local foundations funded liberal advocacy groups and racial justice organizations, some of whom were behind the unsuccessful city amendment to replace the Minneapolis Police Department. Like community foundations across the country, we grapple with the best way to balance our commitment to both diversity and opinion and racial equity. The foundation uh, said in a statement, adding that it's started to review uh, a thorough review of its policies last year. In Tuesday's letter, the CUABP and other advocacy groups, including Black Lives Matter, Minnesota and the racial justice networks and the Minneapolis Foundation's grant to Alpha News likely was used to produce and promote the news uh, sites film The Fall of Minneapolis, which they say blames Floyd for his own death while denying the police violence that killed him. If a donor wanted you to direct funds to the Proud Boys, would you abide by such a request? They wrote, asking the foundation to review its practices and donor-advised funds. Now, the Proud Boys and Alpha News are two different organizations, but the point actually does make a very valid point. Because as, and and, and let me take some time here to go through the sensational Dina Winner story, because that woman did us all a favor and she watched the fall of Minneapolis so that we wouldn't have to. And here are some of the things that she found in this. And once again, this is the, this is the crime here is the Minneapolis foundation has, you know, recommended that the, the, you know, donations go there. and, that this is one of the things that was produced by that organization the fall of Minneapolis. Dina Winter went through and fact-checked the entire thing. Collins' claim serves two self-serving purposes. It inflates the value of the supposed bombshells in her documentary. It makes the rest of the media complicit in alleged conspiracy to cover up the real story of Floyd's death. When problem, she's wrong. MPD-trained officers... To put their knee on a handcuffed person's upper back and neck area if they were combative and posed a threat to themselves or others. Collins doesn't doesn't mention that police were instructed to remove the person to a safe position as soon as possible to alleviate positional asphyxia. Left that little nugget out there, didn't you? Nine and a half minutes. The video clearly shows Chauvin's knee remained in place for several minutes after Floyd went limp and lifeless. And that's the crux of it. Colin makes much of the fact that Hennepin County's chief medical examiner, Andrew Baker, did not list asphyxia, lack of oxygen as a cause of death, cited Floyd's pre-existing health conditions, including coronary artery disease, in his autopsy. Colin insinuates that Baker's opinion in the case cause of death evolved after meetings with prosecutors and the FBI as though they pressured him to blame the cops. But Baker testified during the trial that his cause of death finding hadn't changed since he filed, uh, filled out Floyd's death certificate in June of 2020. He blamed cardiopulmonary arrest complicating law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. That was what he originally wrote. I would still classify it as a homicide today, he testified. Collins zeroes in on the fact that Baker found Floyd had 11 nanograms of fentanyl pill millimeter in his bloodstream. And if he were found dead at his home alone, no other apparent causes, this would be acceptable called to OD. Deaths have been certified with levels of three nanograms. Again, not a bombshell. And I and other wrote about this before and during the trial. Then Collins interviews a nurse who says if Floyd had told the cops about his health problems, they might have been able to save him, like with his 2019 arrest when paramedics showed up and took his blood pressure, which was extremely high. This would seem to allude to the fact that Floyd had indeed warned the officers of his medical condition when he says, I can't breathe. So when, you're, when the nurse is saying he should have said something, he tried over and over and they ignored him. Oh, but that, that was, he didn't say it the right way. Oh, I see. The city and state failed response to an inability to quell the violence in the aftermath And arson are well documented, but inaccurate to claim police were standing down. One of the things that uh, apparently is in the the documentary. They went on joyrides, fired rubber bullets at protesters. See Jaleel Stallings, an officer who went on the run to an actual banana stand, was caught on video by journalists macing protesters for no discernible reason. Lots of cops in riot gear, tear grass crowds. They shot protesters like Soren Stevenson with a, with a rubber bullet and blinded him in one eye. They maced the journalist from Vice News in the face. They fired rubber bullets at journalists, including Reformer reporter Max Nestorak and Star Tribune reporter Andy Mannix. To the people on the other side, they were active. Oh, can I? Because can I, I was here. And I, if, if you want to go back and listen to some shows, I was livid because the Minneapolis police seemed to only be concerned about attacking the media and seem to go out of their way to attack the media. And I mean attack the media, as demonstrated here by Dina Winter. To the people on the other end of the rubber bullet or tear gas or mace, the police response sure doesn't feel like standing down. When it comes to media ethics, Colin may be projecting she's married to retired Minneapolis Police Federation President Bob the Stashcrawl. Oh, I don't know if his nickname is the Stash. In fact, she leaves out of the documentary, she leaves that little nugget of truth out of there. Even though Coral was a major figure in the aftermath of Floyd's murder, Coral sent out a letter to his membership that seemed unbalanced, at best openly admitting to an effort to usurp the National Guard, have a detailed plan of action including a range of 2,000 to 3,000 National Guard, their deployment allocations throughout the city and and, and St. Paul. In a phone meeting with Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka, the Senate was trying to try to run the actions the governor displayed clearly incompetent to do. He tried to overthrow the governors. I mean, we talked about this extensively. I wrote about it. on the blog. It sure seems like they tried to overthrow the governor. And I think if they even were trying to call the White House, and I think someone in the White House, didn't we, I can't remember. I can't remember. I don't want to say this for fact, but I could. I think that they, there was some an allegation that the White House basically said, we can't do that. And basically so that they, they, they all of a sudden, remember, Gazelka puckered up like a sphincter on that one, man. He, could, he didn't want to talk about a damn thing after that. Nor does Colin indicate any attempt to interview any of the people the film attacks, such as the governor she accuses of ineptitude, the judge she accuses of conflict of interest, the attorney general she claims has a history of helping gang members, the former police chief she accuses of lying, or the mayor she blames for inaction. No one is given a minute of rebuttal. If nothing else, Colin uses her access to score revealing interviews with one current police officer and several retired officers who have been largely missing voice these past three and a half years. Retired MPD Sergeant Darren Woletsky said after the protest, he just couldn't do it anymore. We were the one of the highest trained departments in the country. They were some of the best cops you'll ever see in your lives. And a lot of these people were gone. He said the U S department of justice, apparently though, disagreed. And if you did not read the report that the department of justice released on the Minneapolis police department at the time of all this, they were a crap department. doing a lot of crap things and just read that report. Holy God. They were corrupt to the core. They were. It was disgusting. Mind you, once again, the report last summer painted a brutal portrait of the department engaged in a racist, unconstitutional policing for years. I don't know. It's not clear if they, she mentions the Department of Justice report in the, this quote-unquote documentary, but my guess is that that little nugget of truth also failed to clear the journalistic integrity standard. So basically, let's just talk about This, this is a joke. It's a... It's a it's a farce. It's, it's basically, because once again, and I've said this, if this truly has this evidence, then why aren't you marching it into a courtroom to get your buddy Derek Chauvin out of jail? Why not? You have so-called evidence to sh- prove this. Why haven't you gone into a courtroom saying, here it is, here's all the documents, here's everything? Could it be that when you're just doing it on a screen, you don't have to get away with with actually having to defend what you're saying. But if you have to go to court, you actually have to do that. And you don't want to do that. Because I can't... If you have this so-called evidence, then why aren't you going to a courtroom and basically trying to save your buddy, Derek Chauvin, who murdered George Floyd? Fact. Court of law. Um... Many of the organizations behind Tuesday's letter also spoke out at the 2020 Against the Minneapolis Foundation. If this foundation is, you know, directing money or encouraging people to give money to organizations that put out films which are basically, at best, at best, horrifically substandard with any, with very little to none journalistic integrity involved with them, at best, if not at worst, an outright con job to basically try to, 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 to make an, an, something that wasn't real real, then yeah, you want to know the truth is I, I don't blame them for going and getting mad at the Minneapolis foundation for this. And I get it. You want to have, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're not being biased one way or the other. I get that. But at the same time, I just, you know, I'm with them. If your website is filled with references to cultivating change and building racial equity, and that video is somehow an end product of something your, even your department encouraged a donation to, I think you guys need to look a long time in the freaking mirror. That's just me. And by the way, Dina Winter, you're a goddess for having to go through that video. You are a goddess. That is some of the best journalistic work. And if you're not donated and you're not a member of the Minnesota Reformer, you need to be. It is absolutely the best journalistic out, journalist outlet in the entire state of Minnesota. Let's take a break. when we come back. Brian Miller's going to join us We're talking about his comedy show coming on up. It's the Matt McNeil show. AM 950 the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil show. Over at the Laugh Camp Comedy Club coming up here tomorrow night and on Saturday night. Brian Miller and Matt Duyema are going to be performing. Brian Miller is kind enough to join us today uh, to talk a little bit about comedy and uh, his latest album, uh, which you can find the new, all the new Ugly People is available now. We'll talk about that as well. Brian, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hey, how's it going? Nice to talk to you. It's nice to chat with you. you, you let's, let's start off with this. You're a local guy. You, you're from the Twin Cities Metro? Uh, not originally. Uh, I'm actually from
1: Paducah, Kentucky, originally. Really? Uh, but yeah, I moved up here, uh, boy, 16 years ago uh, to start comedy. So I've, the whole time I've done comedy, I've been in the Twin Cities.
0: you? you? Did you, Were you doing something else before that, or was it just one of those things that even from a younger age, you're like, nope, I'm going to be a comedian?
1: Uh, I mean, I really liked comedy, and I did it a couple of times when I lived in Chicago. But uh, after I graduated, I became a newspaper editor in southern Illinois for several years.
0: Oh, really? Wow. And and, and at what point is it, oh, the hell with this? I'm (laughs) going to go to the stage. Well,
1: I I, I really wanted to do comedy, and I knew knew I needed to move to a city. And then the day that I knew it was for sure needed to happen, because it was kind of depressing being a newspaper editor, even though I really liked my publisher and my, my coworkers. And it was my last day. And I was, we were having cake, you know, and, I, and I, I was this community newspaper. I was kind of the do-it-all guy. Yeah. And then uh, the secretary popped in and she said, uh, a guy uh, in a wheelchair has gotten run over by an Amtrak train and we need you to go take some photos. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's... So my last day as a newspaper editor, I'm literally <laughs> trying to find the most artful <laughs> photo of I can of this like mangled wheelchair next to an Amtrak
0: train. Sweet.
2: And I
1: thought,
0: well, this 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 can't be the most fun job. Sweet Lord! <laughs> <laughs> now we understand. I didn't realize when we were watching all the presidents. Men, Bill Bradley was like twenty five. <laughs> yeah, I was. No, I was very young. Yeah, I was twenty three when I started that job. So. Oh wow. Oh man! Oh God! I will have to go. Is the is the picture up online somewhere? I can see this. I don't. I don't no, I, you know
1: the the, the paper uh, got eaten up by one of those uh, investment hedge fund type people. Uh, it was the Carbondale Times back in the day. Okay. Uh, I was the yeah. I was the editor in chief for three and a half four years. I think.
0: All uh, right. So you come up here now? Um, were you married? Were you dating when you get up here? Were you a single guy on the town? No, I have always been married when I did
1: comedy. I got married uh, right shortly out of college to my, uh, my much more uh, intelligent and successful wife, which I know is a thing that people always say. But, like, you know, like, oh, my wife's way smarter than me. But, like, my wife's way smarter than me. And uh, <laughs> our, our financial history uh, will attract that case. I mean, she has, she has more degrees and uh, more money and
0: uh, she's very, she's very smart. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm fighting out of my weight class. I, you know, it's, it's, it's. You, you sometimes I don't know why. Are, you, are you just appealed to pain or something like this? That's why you got married to a radio broadcaster. You know, I, it's the same thing. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's kind of. I don't want her. I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be a nice guy. You know, either I've seen other guys. They're better than me. Uh, were you? Did, was there any connection to Minneapolis, St. Paul in your family? Is there anything like that? That why you came up here? Yeah, my wife uh, was high school up here at Irondale, and uh, we would we would visit. And
1: uh, I mean, the the really honestly boring answer was I was like, "Look, we gotta go to a city. Minneapolis seems to have a great comedy scene. Yes, and if we move to a third city, we're gonna have to visit both of our parents once a year. So this way, I can do I can do comedy. We can live in a city, and we only have to visit one set of parents per year. That's
0: that's a very solid way of of, of very practical. And the
1: comedy scene in Minneapolis really is great. It was. Fantastic uh, at the time, and you know I did a little bit of reading about it, looking into different cities, and uh, it's like, boy, this place seems seems pretty great, and it was. And then uh, I think it's had a real um, a real resurgence in the last few years. A ton of really great new young comics, so it's a it's a fun place to do comedy, and you you have to keep working hard because there's really smart, funny new kids coming up all the time, pushing you from behind.
0: Well, and you are because up on your web page, I, I saw the little bit you got you did down in Utah. Uh, you're, you're, you're now using it as a base of operations. How, how often are you out on the road? Um, yeah, I mean, as often as I can tolerate it. I don't, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't love to travel, but I do it as much
1: as I can. Um, I, you know, at one point, probably like 35 weeks a year. Uh, but it's just got to be just too much of a wow. grind. So I, I'm a little pickier and choosier about uh, which clubs I'll go to and which cities I'll go to. Uh, and I, I'm also a writer, so I write, uh, I write film essays. And and our newspaper articles and short stories, so I just wanted to keep me busy during the days.
0: Well, and you do have that writing ability, the editing ability. That's the cool thing about you is you—you definitely have things you can do kind of more traditionally while you engage in this. Doesn't mean you're not busy as the day is long, but at the same time, you you know, it. it, I think. having that i mean i i know that's it's, it's really hard for people that put all their 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 eggs in one basket with the comedy you know you really have to work that hard but you having that i mean obviously it gives you more material to work with because you have these experiences outside of the comedy world but as well it also it kind of gives you more of a stable existence
1: yeah i mean i've been i've been at this uh, going on 16 years now most people don't do
0: comedy for 16 years
1: mm-hmm. uh and so really and it's you know it's a small small handful of people really um and so at this point you know it you, you do it long enough and you, and you start to go uh i, I could be on the road 50 weeks a year if i if i you know leaned on all my my booking agents and everything but like dude, i don't want to be on the road 50 <laughs> weeks a year you know it's, uh, it's a, for, for me it's a little too much uh so i so i try to be gone no more than two weeks probably a month um two weekends a month and you know sometimes you're busier and sometimes you're less busy but I find that balance to be pretty nice. And there's so many great venues in the Twin Cities and some really cool places just, you know, just out even in the burbs and, and, you know, right across the river. and Some some of these little Wisconsin rooms like uh, Johnny's and River Falls is a, a fantastic room. So you can still do a ton of comedy and not be, you know, flying on a plane, you know, five, six times a month.
0: And not doing the, the Holiday Inn in Fargo, that sort of thing. No, you're exactly right. It, yeah. It uh, by the way, should once again I want to mention this: you're at the Laugh Camp Comedy Club tomorrow night, Saturday night. Eventbrite's got the tickets. We'll make sure I get the link out to everyone out there on the road. What's your favorite city? If you're not here in Minneapolis, uh, what's your if they if someone calls you from that town and says, "Hey, I'd like you to do a show," it's I'm there. What city do you love going to?
1: I mean, the number one is New Orleans, although the comedy's probably not going to be great because. New Orleans is my favorite town in the world, but it's also not a great comedy town uh, because there's too much other cool stuff to do. There's too much music. Everyone's too drunk. um, (laughs) But I will work in New Orleans anytime just so I can write that plane ticket off on my taxes and go down and hang out. Um, I think one of the sneaky, most fun comedy cities is Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, You know, I, I played a lot, you know, Chicago and L.A. and all. You know, I played a lot of really big cities, but. Man, I love doing comedy in Madison. Uh, it's a great club there and a really smart audience and a, a really fun hang during the day.
0: I, I was in New Orleans uh, in November. I went down there. My wife and I did a, an anniversary trip down there. I can get your point, man. That that city is fun. A lot of gunfire. But, I mean, it is fun <laughs> down there. It, it's, it's kind of the case. But it is interesting because you're right. I imagine it's kind of hard because the music scene kind of gobbles up everything. That and the drinking scene gobbles up everything else down there
1: kind of an inverse of the reason why minneapolis is a great place to do comedy and a great place to do theater because it's cold and we don't have a lot of stuff to do during some months and so it really drives people into the arts and i think it's great but you know there's a reason that hawaii and new orleans don't have great comedy scenes famously because (laughs) the people in hawaii and new orleans have so much to do they're not sad they don't need to go inside there's you know there's so much to do so uh, that that's it's kind of a funny inverse relationship uh, in that regard, whereas there's, you know, I, I do think a lot of the most fun shows are in, you know, places like uh, uh, Boise, Idaho, has has got a really fun comedy scene, and I love the crowds in Boise. They were they were really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some of the some of the kind of smaller to mid level cities are, are a lot more interesting than people think they're going to
0: be. The uh, it, it does bring up a point as you're talking about this. Does comedy is are there more bookings when it comes to winter? Because you're right. I mean, it's we're looking for things to do inside. Is there a is there a season that it's busier as opposed to like summer, or is it pretty much universal? Just whenever you want to work. 100 percent
1: seasonal. Uh, I mean, there's there's you know the clubs are open all year. Um, but there was a club, for instance, in Fargo back in the day, very prosperous club that used to just close up shop from like May to September because people wow. want to be outside. All the club owners will tell you it's much, much harder to move tickets for a given random comic in the summer than in the winter. Whereas then flip side, I used to try to go down to Houston. I would like to go there during the winter when it was, the weather was better for me. But the club owner would say, oh, you know, we, we like you. We want to have you in the summer because that's when people want to come into our club for air conditioning. Yeah, oh. uh, And so the, that seasonality plays into it in, in both ways. But definitely um, – you know, you could have a, a headliner nobody's ever much heard of, and they'll just sell some tickets during the uh, during the winter. And during the summer, that might be a
0: stretch. Whereas, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're Brian Regan, you're going to get some folks regardless. <laughs> Is there anything more comedy that you get cold muncher in the colder cities and the hot muncher when it's god-awful hot and no one yeah. wants to be there? That's when comedy works. And all Is there anything more more epitomizes the comedy industry than that? <laughs> It, it really is. It's like, you got to go where the misery is. Like, all right. <laughs> it's almost like you should
1: follow a map of tragic news events. It's like, all right, there was a <laughs> there was a horrific tragedy in Omaha six
0: months ago. They're ready to laugh. Let's go down to Omaha, which okay. is where I'll be next uh, next week, by the way. <laughs> Glad to be here, everybody. Uh, you may not yeah, be, but exactly. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, congratulations on the album, all the uh, new ugly people. Uh, this is available now. What prompted you to say, you know what, it's time for me to do an album?
1: Uh, well, me and uh, our mutual pal Robert Burrell did an album at the end of 2020. Yes. Uh, we did that split album, 2020, about uh, kind of all the political events and stuff. But I, I was actually supposed to record my album in, in 2020, and then, of course, pandemic, club lockdown, blah, 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 year and a half goes by. So many of those jokes felt so stale after that year and a half gap and all that, like, societal change. So I, I I took some of that stuff, but mostly I just kind of wrote a whole new act, and it was by the time that was done, that's when I recorded it.
0: Uh, it, congratulations on that. That's always a big deal. I think that you know there are those bellwethers for comedians that you know when you're touring and you're going across the country, you get those albums that are out, you start getting uh, getting more traction on YouTube and maybe on one of the comedy channels and stuff like this. And it it definitely sounds like you your your career trajectory is definitely one of those that is. I'm much more on the positive, and that, that's that's a real cool thing, man.
1: Yeah, it's a, <laughs> There's not a lot of super high peaks, but I just kind of kind of keep at it, <laughs> you, you know. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it can be a frustrating business if you don't know how to ride the lows and the highs. But that's what, getting old, you, you do have that advantage. I'm like an old quarterback. My arm strength isn't what it was,
0: but I can read the field a little better. (laughs) You you know when you're about to get sacked. (laughs) Yes, exactly, which is most of the time. All right, I heard a story. i got to hear this. Uh, Patrick, uh, of course, over at the Comedy Club, he said, Mm -hmm. I I need to talk to you because apparently you, while writing in a coffee shop, saw a person get shot in Minneapolis. When when was this? Yeah.
1: Yeah, this was 20, oh, boy. I want to say late spring 21 i was on yeah i was on a patio of the coffee shop where i write almost every day and uh in a very nice neighborhood it was just a you know weird time and and i feel weird because people always think like minneapolis you know they want to say it's like this terrifying crime ridden city you know it's like oh they think you know if they're from the suburbs they think if you drive into town you'll be like beaten up and carjacked and shot full of fentanyl within like two minutes right (laughs) and i always think that's kind of ridiculous but then also, it's like, I, I didn't get a shot while I was writing jokes, and I had to go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was the first responder, which is not ideal for <laughs> the shooting victim when the stand-up comedian is your first responder. I was, had literally been writing jokes, and then I had a pretty unpleasant interaction with the police who came to intervene. I, oh, no. Honestly, this, Oh, it was terrible. I, I, honestly, this guy would have died if not for one of the other bystanders who came by to help me. I never even got to talk to him, but clearly he had some serious training, I he had the vibes of an army guy. Yeah. Um, he, he had like army medic training. This guy was unbelievable. And he saved the this, this shooting victim's life. Absolutely. No, no thanks to the cops. And I was so mad about it afterwards. I called my mom, I was telling her what happened. She's like, well, you're going to get a good joke out of this. And I was like, mom, that is offensive. This is a horrible thing that I saw. I'm so mad at, about all this and like two days later i wrote a really long bit about
0: it did you did you run the joke hey i've been writing these jokes in there i mean the comedy is the best medicine so let's start off here with uh what do you think about this one is this one resonating with you oh my god well i mean it does happen and i mean first of all i want to give you credit on one thing even though you might not have been you know army medic dude there are there are too many times where something bad happens someone falls I was ever in uh, by Ridgedale and saw this woman who wants to do that thing where they can they confuse the gas pedal with the brake pedal she launched herself oh, no. she launched herself into one of the, the stores out there and I am like nowhere near her but I was like the first one there because everyone grabbed their stupid phone and started recording as opposed to calling 911 or anything I, I give you a lot of credit because there's a lot of times that people don't go out there and try to help a person who clearly needs help. I do find that weird, but luckily I hate
1: social media and I read a ton of Spider-Man comic
0: books growing up.
1: So, you know, it's like, well, you know, like my grandpa's going to be pretty peeved if I don't go do something. It's probably going to haunt me at night. So I probably should go help people out, you know.
2: Well,
0: wow. uh, You bring up this one element of the story I wanted to ask you about and, and just and not as important as the guy, the guy's life got saved. That's the important thing. But as you say, you, you write every day. When it comes to comedians, I, you know, and Seinfeld actually in his... One of his segments, he talked about I write every day, and I the the, the good comedians that just seems like for you know it, 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 where you get your success is you've got a ton of material you constantly are writing. It that has got to be therapeutic for you and and obviously give you a lot of good product.
1: Yeah, honestly, that's the part I like the most. I really like the writing. I like writing a joke, and I kind of like crafting it. I'm I'm actually a fairly shy person. I don't. I mean, I'm not shy. I guess, and not at this point, I've been used to going on stage, but like. I don't really like talking to people after the shows. not that they're not nice. It's that I'm just, I keep to myself, you know, if you see me in a non comedy context, I probably have my hoodie pulled up. I'm probably in a corner. I'm probably completely by myself with my headphones in. I'm just pretty solitary. Um, So I like the writing part. It's just that, you know, unless I, I'm not getting paid to write jokes for anybody else. Mm -hmm. Well, actually that's not true. I write jokes for Stagy Mm Economopoulos, a football segment, but you know, I'm not getting paid to write for like Dave Chappelle or one of the big writers. So, um, You know, you got to go tell them yourself. And I I like telling them. It's fun. I like the, you know, I I enjoy it. I enjoy the performance part. I like getting that instant feedback. Mm -hmm. But to me, the telling it is just the end result of figuring out how to write it as opposed to, I mean, I I hate getting my picture taken. I can't, there's, I have not had new headshots in so long (laughs) just because uh, I just, I hate having my picture taken. I hate seeing myself on video. Uh, but you know, if you want to tell the jokes, someone's got to get up there and tell them, I guess it's going to have to be me.
0: Well, and that's the, one of the cool things about your gig, man, is that, you know, when, unless they catch you walking onto the stage or walking off the stage, y- unless you're gaffigan or something like this, where everyone knows who you are, you can kind of s- sneak into anonymity fairly quickly. And, and that's actually, it's gotta be a nice element of it. Yes. My manager often
1: comments on my incredible anonymity, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, the funny thing is, and I, I can't say it on the radio, but I have a, a, a I have a joke that I, uh, I do at the end of my act usually that's based on a really dirty thing I used to say around the house that drove my wife crazy. And I promised her I'd stop saying this sort of dumb, dirty catchphrase, and I put it into my act. But now, when people recognize me, they often shout it out. And sometimes my wife and I will just be walking down the street, and this thing that I promised her I wouldn't say around the house anymore, people will shout across the block. Uh, I've had waiters whisper it to me at a table. I mean, it's pretty funny how often it comes up, and that's the best part because my wife can't get mad because I'm like, hey, I did it.
0: <laughs> uh, you can hear that. I'm, will you hear that joke at the end of the show yeah. this weekend? Okay, beautiful. I will be doing
1: it. Yeah, I, I like to close with that joke uh, when I can. It's, it's not that dirty, but, you know, it's uh, definitely not radio friendly.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's what we call a tease. So I want you, everyone listening right now, go get tickets. The Laugh Camp Comedy Club, that is for Friday night, Saturday night. Eight o'clock is both shows, right? Yep, uh, absolutely, and uh, yes, I
1: will. I will be there, and I will definitely be doing uh, that that joke. I will make sure because I I do enjoy telling it. If I can't say it at home,
0: Brian Miller, uh, <laughs> Brian, an absolute pleasure having you on. By all means, anytime you want to come back, please do, my friend. Absolutely, thanks. This is great. A lot of fun. Take care, Brian Miller. Once again, the Laugh Camp Comedy Club tomorrow night, Saturday night. 8 p.m. Both shows. Eventbrite's got the listing. I've got this. I'll post it up on all the socials a little bit later on. We'll take a break. Come on back. Wrap up the show when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Thanks, Brian Miller, for joining us. I'm glad to see guys like this, you know, local guys. And he, local, he's 16 years. He's been here long enough. Local guys making good, man. And you know, he just and real nice guy and just really open and discussing uh, discussing his career. And and so, yeah, by all means, I hope I I hope the guy has tons of success and go see him, go see him. I got a feeling, and we might he might be doing more national stuff. I mean, he's he's had a pretty good trajectory so far. I think it's going to keep going because he seems to have a lot of things he's doing right. By the way, the other thing. um other story I wanted to mention that's got all the rightos in this town screaming, yeah, it's the new business applications. Now, hey, I'm just as torn up as anyone that ta- – you see Tavern on Grand is going to close? The uh, Wal- second. Wal- Walleye and Sandwich. I've been I've been going there for a long time, man. Uh, they're going to close. But new business applications in Minnesota actually rose 26.3%. 263 matter of fact, we're not the number one state. I mean, that's Colorado, 115 percent. Dear Lord, the thing's going crazy. Cray Cray, I think is what uh, the kids say it today. North Dakota's at 37.7 percent. Wyoming at 29.5. Let's see here. Uh, anyone else doing better? Maine's at 26.8. Um, you know, Montana, 29.5. So there's a lot of places that are doing really well. Minnesota is up there as well, doing very well. Wisconsin. Not so much. Wisconsin's actually seen a decrease in business applications. Minus uh, 1.7%, less people looking to open businesses in Wisconsin. Hmm, I wonder what the difference could be there. Would there possibly be a lot of people trying to scamper across that old border, the old St. Croix River, trying to get into the Minnesota side, saying it's so much nicer over here? Could be. Uh, I should mention, I mean, because this map is all over the place. Like I said, you've got Democratic states that are listed in here. Colorado's the number one in the nation. New Mexico is doing pretty well. Minnesota is doing really well. You also have some far-right states, North Dakota and Wyoming, uh, Montana, that are doing really well as well. But uh, when it comes to the worst states, once again, it's kind of a mixed bag. But by far, the worst states for businesses are the, the deepest red ones. Uh, Louisiana has lost 8% of new business Mississippi 6.4 and I do do believe this is our leader in the clubhouse Georgia is at basically 10% less businesses I actually wonder how much that has to do with the Marvel movie franchise because remember they filmed a bunch of those in Georgia right? Did the Marvel movie things because that's kind of gone off the tracks? Is that what's killing georgia business right now because there's a ton of businesses that were there working with them i don't know i don't know i hey good pecans good pie avoid the boiled peanuts that's just that's just cray cray okay don't do that that's bad uh native roots radio i'm awake robert pilot and crew that's coming up next we are back on a friday have a good one till then see ya